Thank you very much, Amanda. Appreciate that. It was very nice. So I get to preach again twice in a row. This is amazing, um, especially here. But before we start, I always do the same thing at the beginning of every sermon. So if you would join me, I would ask you that you would pray for three things. The first, that we are just joy overjoyed that the Holy Spirit is willing to be with us in this place. God is with us right now. Um, that you would maybe just get rid of some of the distractions that we have overwhelming us on a daily basis. Just let God give us a little bit of relief right now so that we can hear from him. And then if you would please pray for me because I'm just a humble servant that wants to be used by God and not say something not right or stupid or, or crazy or whatever that may be. So please join me in prayer. Father in heaven, in the stillness and in the silence, we are awed by your presence. Lord, and it's not just this place. We recognize that you are always with us, but right now we are just overjoyed that you would be willing to come and spend some time with us on a personal level. And uh, right now, thank you. Father, I ask that you would just help us right now as, as the weight of the world sometimes overwhelms us and we just need a little bit of relief. And so right now we seek that from you and we just ask that you would take the distractions away so that we can really be in tune with what you would have us here. And Lord Father, I just ask that you would be with me as well. I don't want to say things that aren't supposed to be said this morning. So I just ask that you would speak through me as, as you always do. And thank you so much for your love. In your name we pray. Amen. So it is actually quite rare for an associate pastor to be able to do a series with any kind of cohesiveness because typically we have breaks in between when we get to talk. And so when we were looking at the summer schedule and there was going to be large amounts of the summer when our senior pastor and other associates were going to be gone, it was like, oh, well, this is your perfect time for a series at Spencerville. I was like, oh, okay, that's perfect. I'll do that. And so that's why you'll hear me this week and last week and next week. And that's also why I decided very specifically to do the same exact title and same exact, well the title's a little bit different actually, the same scripture each week. So last week we were focused on asking in this Matthew 7, 7 um, scripture and this week we're talking a little bit about the seeking portion and next week we'll be talking about knocking and having the door open to us. But I want you to just look back with me for a second. Some of you may not have been here last week or you're on vacation or um, whatever it was. I did, I was tempted at one point this week to actually preach the same sermon because there were so many people not here last week. But then I thought that was probably a bad idea, and the ones that were would probably walk out and leave. And so I'll just recap it quickly for you um, and for us that were here so that we can kind of remember where we left off and what we were talking about. Last week we were talking about asking, and there are eight encouragements from Matthew chapter 7 in the very first part for us to actually pray, to take the time to actually pray. And so Jesus actually invites us to pray specifically. He wants us to pray. Um, he makes promises to us if we are to pray, if we do pray. God makes himself available to us at different levels, not just in one spot. He will come to us in many, many different ways. Um, we know that everyone who seeks him will find him. Um, we are coming to our Father, our Father with a capital F, not our earthly Father. And, and our Heavenly Father is always better than our earthly Father is. Um, if we trust God, we can trust in God's goodness because he has already made us his children. And the last thing that we looked at from those eight is that the cross is the foundation of our prayer, of prayer. So, so we got a chance to look at that and, and see those things come into play and, and ask the question, so that means that everything I ask for I will get, right? And we, we kind of decided hopefully together that that's not necessarily the case. We don't always get exactly what we ask for, um, 
based on this passage, we know that we ask, we seek, and we knock, um, and God has, um, he hears us, and he will give us good things, not necessarily exactly what we ask for, but he will give us good things. Sometimes just the way that we ask for it, sometimes just when we ask for it, sometimes just in the very way that we ask for it. But then there are some times that he gives us something even better than we asked for. Or sometimes he, he does it in a time that is, he knows is better or in a way that he knows is better. Um, we, we, we looked at my example from when I was a younger kid and, and asking for a million dollars and really thinking that that would be a cool thing to have. How many of you would not want a million dollars? You're liars. You can raise your hand. It's okay. We're in church. All of us would probably be okay with having a million dollars. But at the same time, maybe he's answered that for me in not quite the way that I asked. I wanted it all as a lump sum. That's nice, right? But it, over the course of your lifetime, probably most of us will get maybe close to that. You know, that's pretty cool. So it's not exactly the way that I wanted it answered, but it's the way that he knew was better for me. So that's cool. That's asking. We looked at that. I want to look at seeking for a little bit. So one of the first games that, that you know of, that you do when you're growing up is hide and seek. Now, now some of you are probably thinking, well, when you're a baby, you don't do that. You play lots of games before that. But actually, you do. How many of you remember the game Peekaboo? How many of you have played that game? Probably most of us. And how many of, that, how many of us have played that with some kids, even if they were not your own? Peekaboo is kind of a dumbed-down version, a little basic version of hide and seek. You know, you put the hands over the face, or you put the hands over the face of the person, the little one, and, and it's, you know, you slide it down slowly sometimes, and sometimes you just do it all at once. It's peekaboo, you know, and there's inevitably laughter involved, and people get a kick out of that. Parents do as well. We probably enjoy it just as much or more than our young kids do. I'm, I'm past that stage in life for my own kids, so they don't really do the peekaboo thing anymore. We have to actually ramp up into the full-blown hide-and-seek games, you know. Um, but that's really cool. Uh, I actually still enjoy and do play on more than some occasions. Sometimes I'm playing it because I'm being forced to play it. Um, but I still play hide-and-seek on a fairly regular basis, you know. Mark mentioned after, after potluck sometimes the kids all kind of want to jump around and run around and play, and they end up playing a hide-and-seek game from parents too, and you know, we kind of search around the church looking for them. It's fun. It's a good time. Um, it's a game that, that, that's kind of almost even knit into our DNA as people. It's almost like God, when he was creating life in a human form, was like, you know what, I'm going to stick this little special piece in there that's hide and seek so that they can always enjoy this. And, and the reason I think that way and the reason I kind of know that way is because if you look back in the Garden of Eden, at Adam and Eve, in that story of the fall, it's Genesis 3, chapter um, 3, verse 3, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 8 through 13. We're not going to read it all there together right now, but if you want to turn there and read that story again, that's fine uh, as we're talking, or maybe later on this afternoon. But the reason I think that this is knit into our DNA is because when you look at that story, immediately after the sin, when God comes, what do Adam and Eve do? That's right, they run and hide. Their natural inclination, before, before they didn't know consequence to sin at this point. They didn't know anything about it. Their natural inclination was to run away and hide, okay? Which, you know, obviously, or honestly, that's kind of, kind of the thing that we do a lot of times also. 
You know that feeling, don't you? When you're doing something or you've done something wrong and, and you, you want to just run away and hide because you know there are some consequences coming and, and the person's going to be seeking you out. I remember one time when I was younger, I was probably, oh, I shouldn't tell this story. My son is now in the congregation. Um, I'll have to make a disclaimer afterwards with him um, so that he never does this. But I remember one time when I was younger, I was probably third, second, third grade. Um, we had some friends over at our house and we were outside playing, riding our bikes, having a good time. And, you know, after a while, you kind of want to move on to something else. And we probably did some other things. And, and so we, we decided to have an acorn fight because this is why God made acorns fall from trees is so that we could throw them at each other. And this is, you know, a perfectly legitimate thing to do. And so we did that for a little while. And then we decided, well, let's try something different with these acorns. And so we, we decided that we would throw acorns at the passing cars along the street. I, I will just say that this is not a good plan. Please don't do this ever, okay? And so we threw acorns at one car, and we missed badly, of course. And so we threw acorns at the next car and hit it. You could hear the tinking. I mean, this was, this was kind of interesting for us until not very long after that tinking, and, and I'm talking like milliseconds. The, this is back before analog brakes. The car came to a literal screeching halt, leaving tread marks, black streaks on the ground as the gentleman that was driving this car did not appreciate our game of throwing acorns at the car. So he stops his car, literally screeching to a halt, jumps out the door, and we did what any good self-respecting second and third graders would do. We fled in terror, of course, because I didn't know this man from anybody, and I didn't want the wrath of this guy that was jumping out of this car and hurling at us at some unknown speed of light to get a hold of me. And so luckily I had the advantage of knowing my yard and knowing the places that I could go and hide before he could catch us. Well, unfortunately, there's more to that story that I won't tell because after he didn't catch us very quickly, he did what every self-respecting man driving a car would do in that situation and he went and knocked on the door. Eventually, I was found. That's the feeling. That's that hide and seek, that flight that takes over, that fear. Get out. Go away. You know that feeling. You've probably experienced it before in your life. Maybe not by throwing acorns at cars, but in some very similar circumstance. But here's the cool thing. Just like the man screeching to a halt in his car, God does something very similar to, with Adam and Eve, doesn't he? After their fall, after their sin, and, and what does he do? What is his response? He comes calling. He comes looking for them. Where are you, he says. And their response, we went, we hid because we were afraid. Immediately, God was looking for them. He didn't give them, you know, a 60-second head start. It wasn't like a, well, I'll get to them when I feel like it. Let me go over here and do something more important. The most important thing in the entire universe at that moment was to be looking for his children, was to be there for his kids so that he could not just, he wasn't doing it out of some adverse, you know, uh, anger and punishment feeling. It was there so that he could be there for them and restore them and to help them to understand that he did, in fact, love them. So he comes and he, and he calls them out right away. Right away he's there for them. And um, what is their next reaction to that? They play the next game that we learned that is probably also knit into our DNAs, and that's the I didn't do it game. Anybody played that game before? 
I didn't do it. It was over there. You know, Adam, Adam says, I didn't do it. It's the woman you gave me that did it. You know, and he's like, no, 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 it's not me. It's the serpent that you made, um, you know, basically blaming God for what they had done not taking responsibility. And that's, that's also a very natural reaction, unfortunately for us. I, I, I also, you know, I have lots and lots of these kind of stories from being an idiot when I was growing up, um, of these stories about I didn't do it. And, and I'm sure that if you have a brother or a sister, or even if you don't, you've probably played this game before as well. I remember one time playing football in my grandmother's house. My grandmother she, she was one of those kind of collectors and, and always had her things in a very particular order. And, and so we were playing football. I threw the football, and my cousin did unfortunately drop the football or missed the football or whatever you want to say, and it hit some of her little figurines and broke them to pieces. They were just like little porcelain things, and don't do well with a football. And you know, it happens. And so Grandma comes in the room because you can hear the breaking of glass or porcelain or whatever it was. I don't remember. And what happened? I don't know. I didn't do it. He did it. It's his fault. He didn't catch the ball. He was supposed to catch the ball. You know, it's just that natural reaction of, I, it, it's, it's that guilt and that shame and, and, and all those feelings coming together and, and trying to get away with something. Um, it's that guilt and shame of our sin that causes us to want to go away and hide. But we can't hide from God. That's ridiculous to even think that we can. Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 24, if you have a second, turn there with me. Let's read that. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 24. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 24. I was at a different verse, so I had to come back. Do you really think anyone can hide himself where I cannot see him? The Lord asks. Do you not know that I am everywhere? He already knows what we've done. He already knows where we are. We can't hide from him. But in spite of me, in spite of, uh, in spite of what I've done, in spite of the stupid things that I have done in my life, God searches me out. God seeks me immediately. And, and the reality is here, it's, it's kind of the same with, with Adam and Eve. It's, he searches for me right away, but sometimes I'm not willing to answer back because I want to try to take care of things on my own. But yet he's there. There's a really cool thing that's happening in this passage, this Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, this seeking and finding, in my mind anyway. You know, there's this, there's this innate sense in this verse that it's me seeking Right? It's me doing the seeking, but there's also God doing the seeking here. God's not, we're not alone in this. God's actually seeking for us right away, primarily as well. Seeking, we will find we can't hide from, who, from him. We are sinners, and yet he comes to where we are and others, and with him he brings the cross. Natalia, you were mean to your sister this week. I'm sure of it. I, I know her pretty well. But Jesus comes to her in spite of that and brings, him, and brings her the cross. Stephen, you drove your dad crazy at the store on Wednesday. I'll give you some background on that one because I can speak to it. Um, you know what happens when you're out and, and you're getting hungry and you, you run through those things in your head. What do we have at home to eat? 
And I don't do the primary shopping for the groceries at our house, thank goodness. My wife does that, or grandma does that sometimes, you know. And, and so I'm thinking to myself, what do we have at the house to eat? I have no clue what we have at the house to eat. We could have 10,000 gourmet dishes already prepared, and I would have no clue. So I did what any, you know, any person would do in that situation, and we drove to the grocery store, which already is a terrible idea with kids. It's just not a good plan, especially seven-year-old boys. It's not a good idea for a 37-year-old male. I, if you're into that, great. I, it's fine. I can, I can appreciate it, but it's not for me. I hate the grocery store. Even when I'm starving, it's even worse when I'm starving. So we're in the store, and you know, I don't want to be there long, but then you're walking down because you don't know what you want, and there's all these great sales that they have at the store because you only go there once every year or whatever. And so we grabbed some Gatorade bottles that were on sale, and we put them in the cart, and we're walking around. What do we want to eat? What do we want to eat? So we grabbed a couple other things, and we walked past the ice cream aisle, and we're not getting ice cream. Forget it. Stop. He, you know, Stephen's trying to grab every ice cream in the, in the store, and so we got over to the section where we got bread, and I grabbed a couple, you know, a couple different loaves of bread, and we went over to look at the roll section, and I grabbed some rolls, and Stephen went over to the ones that he likes, and he grabbed them, and I said, no, we're not getting those. And he looked at me. Some of you parents know this look of your kids and the defiance that they just spew from themselves. And he started to pick up the package. And I said, don't you dare take the package. He picked it up and put it in the cart. And I'm just losing it at this point. Like, this is ridiculous. I specifically told you not to touch that bread and not to put it in the cart. And so I'm just like freaking out over here over, over a loaf of bread, like for, for real. So we talked last week, again, I'll remind you to last week's sermon, where we are not as good as our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father is always better than our earthly fathers, and I made, I made some admissions of mistakes last, last week. I will admit fully that this is a mistake I made this week. I got mad over a loaf of bread. But anyway, Stephen helped in that. He, he drove me crazy, you know. Stephen, you drove your dad crazy at the store on Wednesday, but Jesus comes and he offers him the cross. And at the same time, because I'm not, I'm not better than any, anybody else, he says to me in, in words that I would understand, Daddy, you're an idiot. You need to learn to be more patient. But here's the cross. And it's important that we note that it's not your cross. It's the cross. This is a one-size-fits-all kind of a thing, you know, the cross that Christ died on is good enough for all of us. It's not like those little things that say one size fits all. I'm wearing a, a, a little arm elbow brace thing right now that's one size fits all. And I'm pretty sure this thing is like cutting off the circulation of my hand. It's swelling up and I'm like, you know, whatever else. If, this, if, if you had a much bigger arm than mine, this would be a bad idea for you, I promise. You know, uh, it's one size fits all. But it clearly doesn't fit all, you know. But this cross that Christ died on is literally a one-size-fits-all application. It takes into consideration all the things that I have done and, and messed up in my life, and it, it can apply to every one of those situations. It takes all the things that have ever happened in your life, and it can apply to your situation. Whether or not you've been mean or bad or hurtful to a brother or a sister or to a mom or to a dad, you know, it doesn't matter. Christ seeks us but at the same time, it offers me something too. This passage. This passage offers me the opportunity to go ahead and seek him as well. You know, seek and I will find what I'm looking for. What is it really in life that I am looking for? 
the ultimate thing in this life and, it, and that I could you know, tell you about is in fact Jesus and his cross. You know, so when I seek, I will find the ultimate. Um, you remember the story of the prodigal son? Again, we're not, gonna, we're not gonna go and read through that whole thing. It's in Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 32. Um, the, the son goes to his dad, he wants, wants his share of the inheritance, and he takes it, and he does all sorts of stupid things with it. Wanders away, you know, squanders his money, throws it down the toilet, stomps on it, it's gone. And he, he decides to come home and uh, confess to his father. And when the son, he does come to his senses, and he begins re- returning back to home, what happens? When the father sees him, as, and he's a long way off, what does he do? He runs to his father, right? His father runs to him, right? And I, I can imagine in, in this situation that I've seen pictures or I've heard stories told about the father sitting on his porch and looking out over the horizon, or maybe he had some crude kind of binoculars that he was looking out and, and seeing, but I can actually go a step further than that. I can imagine, because this is maybe how I would feel, this father going that extra, extra mile and going out and looking and searching for his son. And so it wasn't like this, this far off thing. It was really his dad was looking for him already. And so he was ready for him when he, when he was searching for his dad. And I can honestly imagine that that's kind of how God is too. And I know that's how he is. You know, he's not some distant, far off thing for us when we seek him. It's, it's a right now kind of a situation. God, when we, when we have separated ourselves from him, because it, it's not the other way around, if, hopefully we, we can talk about that some other time, unpack that. Um, it's not some far off thing that God is like, I, I gotta get away from this guy. You know how sometimes your friends are doing something really stupid and you're like, I don't want any part of that because I don't want to get roped into that or, you know, brothers and sisters. I had a brother and a sister, so there were times where you just needed to distance yourselves because you didn't want the wrath that was about to follow behind it. You needed to be away. God doesn't do that to us. He doesn't remove himself from us. It's, it's myself that has removed me from God, and, and, but God doesn't let it be way over there. God comes, and he's right there waiting and ready, and so as soon as you're realizing what you're doing, you're, you're, he's there. He's right there. It's, um, it's kind of like that feeling, we'll go back to hide and seek for a minute. Uh, if, you're, if you're remembering back to your younger years, or if you still play it today, hopefully you do with your kids. If you haven't done it in a while, get a group of friends together and uh, play. It's good times, right? We should, we should do that. We should go play hide and seek. Yeah? No? I'm looking at you. Yeah! All right. Good friend of mine. Um, we'll go play hide and seek sometime. Play it with your baby, peekaboo. Um, Yo, it's that, it's that feeling like you're, you're, you're hiding and you found your really good hiding spot. I'll, I'll admit to mine because it's no longer available to be hidden in. Um, in the basement of the house that I grew up in, Tacoma Park, my sister's room had a really nice closet in it. And, and my mom had some of her things stored in that closet because it was way too big for a, a seven-year-old girl. I mean, just it was. When she was 13, it was a different story. But um, she had some of her clothes down there, some of the things she didn't wear all the time. And in the back part of the closet, there was a, one of the folding door things. Behind the wall, there was a suitcase and then just my mom's clothes. And so when everybody else was hiding, I would go and hide on top of that suitcase. I probably wouldn't fit now, unfortunately, but it was a great spot. And so I, I would move the clothes aside, get up on top of the suitcase, and put the clothes right back over to where they were to make it look like nothing had happened. And I was really, you know, you couldn't look underneath. You could look underneath, but there was just a suitcase. You didn't see anything on top. It was the perfect hiding spot. 
but I could always hear people coming, and they would be like right around the corner, or they would be looking in the closet. I could hear them looking in the closet. And so there's this, there's this thing in your, in your body that goes on, and, you, and you're like, okay, here's, here's the situation. I either stay here and risk being caught. I could do that and, and ride this out, or I could do that, you know, pop out of the closet, scare the person, you know, try to get them to, to you know, scare the pants off of them or whatever, and, and do that little boo thing, and, and then run, and hopefully I'll get away or whatever, you know. I love that feeling, by the way. It's a really cool feeling. I hate this thing today. It's not doing well. Sorry. Um, it's all stuck in my suit. That feeling of just that tenseness. What's going to happen? Do I, do I do it? Do I jump out? You know? That's so close that you're about to be found, but you're not 100% that you want to be. That's, that, that's where Jesus is at. He's right there, right on the cusp of looking behind those clothes and saying, gotcha. But not the gotcha like you're going to be next. It's the gotcha that you've been restored. The I've got this. You're covered. You're good. It's okay. I love that feeling. When you see God, that is it. He is right there. There's another thing um, many, some of you might know. We have two dogs. We have two English Springer Spaniels. Um, my favorite dog. They're, you know, I could say my, they're the best dogs in the world. Obviously, that would be my opinion, but um, they're great. They're bird hunting dogs, and one of them, Athena, is, um, she's more of the princess. I think, I think her official AKC registered name is Pretty Princess Athena or something like that. Um, she struts her stuff man she just wants to be seen and she's like that little oh i'm so much better than everybody in this whole entire world kind of ganter or whatever and it it's beautiful to look at um she's not so much into the hunting however my other dog zeus is the if it moves i will chase it kind of feeling and and i love that that action that he goes outside we don't have a fenced yard here so i have to be a lot more careful um, when he goes outside because there's why are there so many deer here? Anyway, um, there's deer out there in the yard. There's squirrels, and dogs love to chase squirrels. There's any kind of other rodent out there, you know. Um, and, and birds, obviously, there's birds everywhere. And so there's this, there's, he'll go outside, and he'll just be doing his own thing, and then all of a sudden he'll stop, and he'll just get that, that boom, that tense, that, that ready-for-action look. And it, it could be something that's happening behind him, but he just knows, it's like he knows that something is about to take place that he needs to be, like, just ready for, you know? And um, so you'll, I, I try to have to jump in there right away and try to get him distracted from whatever that is because otherwise he'll be gone for a couple minutes while he's chasing whatever it is that moved or was going to move. I don't know how he knows it's going to move, um, but he will. And, and it's just that, that instant boom. It's that focus, that ready focus. And please understand, I am not equating my dog to Jesus, okay? Please do not misunderstand that. But that's kind of that same philosophy, that same thing that, that Christ has. He knows even before I know that I'm about to seek him out. And so that he's ultra ready. He's like right there. He's on the cusp of being right in my arms as soon as I'm, I'm ready to make that recognition. And it does have to be my recognition. I have to understand that it's me. And I, and, I, and I need to make that right. God doesn't play hide and seek with us. He plays a new, game, a new game. It's called seek and find. You know, and it's not God. God doesn't, we were talking about earlier, he, he's not, you know, giving us time to stew or, or make, make right on our own 
what we've done wrong. You know, he doesn't tell, he doesn't tell me in some sense to get down on my hands and knees or just my knees and crawl around the church four times in the sanctuary on the hard, whatever this floor is. That's not the way that God works. He's just there. He plays that new game called seek and be found. If you're not a Christian, that means one believing that, that you're a sinner and desiring not to live like that anymore. It, it means believing that Jesus' blood can forgive you and all those sins of your past. And it means being baptized into Christ, washing away those sins, washing away that past and burying the sins that have, that have bound you and then rising up from the waters as a new life in Christ. But if you're already a Christian, then what? Because sometimes, since I was baptized and, and became a Christian many years ago, I've made mistakes. I still do, and I will try to admit to them as, mu as readily as possible. But there's hope for us as well. Turn with me, if you would, to, to 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. First John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 says, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we unfortunately continue to do that. Well, I would say that differently. I continue to do that. You know, and I need to recognize that I am a sinner. But John says, don't worry about it. If you're, if, you're, if you're worried about it, don't hide your sins. As Christians, we have a promise from God that if we confess our sins, he will forgive us of our sins. If we, if we are ready to admit and not to make excuses and not to play the I didn't do it game or the blame game, he will, be, he will forgive us. If we acknowledge that we maybe, not maybe, if we acknowledge that we have hurt God by what we've said or what we've done or what we've thought or what we, how we treated somebody, he will forgive us. In other words, if we seek him, we will find him. And when we find him, he will, in fact, forgive us. I love the fact that, that he's willing to come right to where I'm at. It doesn't have to be a long process. I was, I was saying earlier as well, you know, in this, this Wednesday of ruin, <laughs> Stephen said it was the worst day of his life or whatever. That was mostly my fault, I'm sure. We played one more game that day. That was just awful fun. It was move the Gatorades that we had bought from the car to the little hutch on the porch. And so instead of having to walk back and forth 50 times, I had him throw me the bottles. I showed him a great way to throw the bottles. At least I thought it was the greatest way in the world. And so he put them in his hand, and he would toss it to me, and I would catch it, and I would put it in the thing. And, and before long, it was like, okay, this is a fun game, right? It turned into a game for him, turned into a game. And uh, so he would just toss me a random bottle. And anyway, you know, he would just grab one and throw it. And one of the times he grabbed it, he grabbed it kind of by the top of the bottle instead of the side where you could just toss it nice and easy. And he, and he threw it at me, and it flipped in the air. That was cool. So he threw another one at me the same way, and he flipped it, and it flipped like two or three times. And, and so at this point, he's getting like really excited about what's happening here. And so he decides, and I could see it coming, he decides that he's going to make this like the ultra-flipped Gatorade bottle, okay? 
And so he took the bottle like he had been, and he went, boom! And it went flip, 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 like almost straight up in the air. And I'm, I'm like over here, and he's like over there. And, and you could just see it automatically happening. Like there was no way that anything else other than what did happen happened. The bottle came crashing down to the ground. The nice little plastic top that they put on the, these bottles broke off, and there's Gatorade spilling all over the concrete. And, oh, man, it was, the, it was, the good, it was a good kind of Gatorade, too. It's the, it's the red one um, that it has that special red dye number 592 that's, like, just below a nuclear grade of, of whatever it is, and it kind of like just stains everything permanently. It's like more permanent than permanent marker kind of stuff. And it's like, oh my goodness, how in the world could you do that? Why, in the, why didn't you just listen to what I was telling you? I can't even see him. He's like ducked down in the back somewhere right now. Like, why couldn't you just listen to how I taught you to throw it? And then we wouldn't have this huge mess on the floor. But you know what? We cleaned it up. You know, it really, in the scheme of things, wasn't that big of a deal. And although I was frustrated slightly, I actually didn't, I wasn't that bad, but I was frustrated slightly, and we, we, we looked at the mess, and it was like, oh well, you know, we got it cleaned up, and there's only a hint of red left on the concrete slab outside the door, underneath the little roof area that will probably be there for the next 237 years, or unless Christ comes before that, hopefully he will, you know. God's there. He's a, he's a good God. He's a forgiving God. And he wants us to know that he's always available to us. And he will help us clean up our messes, whether it's a Gatorade bottle of insignificance or whether it's something that we've really truly done wrong in our lives that we need forgiveness for. He's right there really uh, willing and able to forgive us for what we need. We're going to be ready to sing our closing hymn here in just a second. It's number 593. As you're turning there, I just... It's just my hope that as, as we're going through this series, we understand a little bit about, you know, how accessible we are or we have it to God. I looked last week a little bit too, and I love this kind of analogy of we're really close proximity to the White House. And, you know, you go down there today just as if you had gone down there last week. If you're in my shoes anyway, you have no access to that building. You know, they will very readily escort you away from that property. Um, but there is an accessibility to God that the most powerful person being in the universe that we have right now today, that we can go to, we can ask for anything. We can just seek him out and he's right there for us. We're so lucky to have that. It's my prayer that you realize that, that you will take advantage of those things that we have at our disposal. The fact that God is right here for us and that he is willing to do anything for us, even anything that we ask of him, but know that he has it all under control, that he will answer the way that he sees fit. Let's sing our closing hymn, 593.